Hello, teacher friends, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Beyond Measure podcast. My name is Christina Whitlock, here for you whenever as your anytime piano teacher friend. (laughs) So on that note, how are you doing today? (laughs) We are living in a time where it seems like new challenges are being thrown at us every single week. Please know that you have a real place in my heart, my friend. Today is the day that I am recording the episode I said I would never record. (laughs) Never say never, right? (laughs) Well, when I launched this happy little podcast mid-pandemic, I very much wanted it to be an escape from the weight of the world, and talking about virtual lessons just felt a little too on the nose for the moment. And besides, everyone was talking about it already. So listen here. I have no desire to talk to you about equipment or platforms or anything technical in that regard, because... Anyway, there are plenty of voices doing that better than I can. But as we've continued to run the marathon of the past 12 months, there are aspects of teaching online that I feel are worth sharing here. And since virtual lessons have inevitably woven themselves into the fabric of our profession in one way or another, I thought I'd better share some perspectives here that you might find helpful. Before we deep dive too far, let me first address the elephant in the room. (laughs) As a profession, I know we are all very divided on our feelings toward online lessons. (laughs) Some teachers love them and never want to go back to in-person studios, and others, well, don't love them. (laughs) There are many of you who question the efficacy of virtual lessons and consider them to be substandard. Some of you just dislike teaching them personally. And then, of course, there are teachers like myself who just fall somewhere in the middle. We see them as the best solution for the time being, and we're trying hard to make the most of the hand we've been dealt but we're also looking forward to getting back to lessons in person. So I want you to remember this podcast space is for everyone, and it comes with absolutely no judgment from me. You know, we all get to weigh the evidence and make decisions that we feel are best for us. I have been teaching exclusively online since March, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And in the end, we all get to make our own decisions. And personally, I know I am enough of a mess to worry about. (laughs) And I'm really thankful that I don't have to make any decisions for the rest of you. So do your thing. I will, though, say this. You know how sometimes the thing you think is the thing is not really the thing? (laughs) Is that as clear as mud? (laughs) Well, I think some of the negative feelings students and teachers find themselves having toward online lessons 
is more a result of current circumstances and less about the lessons themselves. The fact that for most of us, we made the move to online instruction because we felt like we had to inevitably contributes to our feelings on the matter. We have all missed out on things that mattered to us in the last year. It's easy to feel like things and experiences just keep being taken from us, and inevitably lessons fall into that category. So I say all this because, you know, perhaps, don't throw things at me or anything, but just maybe the fact that some parents, students, or teachers groan over online lessons more because they just feel like it's one more thing that's been taken from them. I can't help but think that lessons that begin as online relationships have to carry less baggage with them than those that were forced to transition online as a result of the pandemic. I say this just as food for thought, because if you have faced resistance or negativity from parents regarding online lessons, perhaps they are not actually that much less satisfied with the experience you're offering But maybe it's their frustrations from other aspects of life that are spilling over a little bit into something they feel more in control of, which are music lessons. Or if you have found yourself spouting hatred for online lessons, and believe me, we've all been there, (laughs) consider the fact that part of your despair is actually the fact that you don't feel like you've had any choice in the matter. Your physical studio is one of the things that has been taken from you. It might have less to do with the actual lessons themselves and more to do with this bizarre turn our lives have taken this past year. So again, you know, the thing you think is the thing may not really be the thing. Okay, so now that we've hashed all that out, let's recap my experience, which I believe probably echoes a lot of yours. Pre-pandemic, I had dabbled in online lessons for times where there were transportation conflicts or when students had stayed home from sick from school and that type of thing. But I do know that parents weren't always sold on the effectiveness of online lessons at that point. The fact that so many facets of life transitioned online in March of 2020 definitely helped justify the attempt at online lessons. At the same time, I was very keenly aware at that point that I needed to step up my game in a way that made sure I was seen as an essential part of these students' lives. Of course, that's kind of always my goal. (laughs) I have a very genuine desire to teach students who realize that they benefit from my presence in their lives. But it was just very apparent that I was going to have to do something to make my approach to online lessons notably beneficial. I shifted my 40-student studio online early last March taught for about two weeks and then had a week off for spring break here in the States. 
And I know many of you can relate (laughs) that over those weeks and months to come, I practically drowned myself in research and blog posts and online forums. I rarely thought of much else. It was total information overload. (laughs) So as I say all of this, it probably sounds like I came out of it with some brilliant complex technical setup and that I did something revolutionary in my lesson planning, but I'm sorry to say I really didn't. Even though I consumed information like crazy and I spent an unreal amount of time doing mental gymnastics around possible scenarios, I was also very aware of a few things. One, just like my mental bandwidth was completely consumed, so were my students, and so were their parents. (laughs) This was not the time to make big demands on what parents needed to do for setup, and it was also not the time to make big changes to my students' practice routine. Two, emotional health took top priority, and what luck, playing music is great for our mental and emotional health if approached correctly. So when pandemic life hit, it wasn't time to push the discipline aspects of our craft, but rather ensuring my students were playing accessible music, creating their own sounds, and in general, just deepening their appreciation for music. Those became my top priorities. And three, I saw this as an opportunity. (laughs) I had read a post on social media last March, originally geared toward school teachers, advising them basically how to create meaningful work for their students in a new virtual environment. The post listed several questions to consider, and two really stuck out to me. The first was, What concepts do you always wish that you had more time to explore? And the second was, when this is all over, what do you want your students to remember about you? So let's just ponder those two questions for a moment through your own perspective. What types of activities or concepts in your lessons do you always wish you had more time to study? For me... A year ago, what immediately came to mind was aural skills. I've long wanted my students to do more work with sight singing and solfege, dictation, and playback patterns. So guess what we did a ton of this past year? (laughs) Those things. Really, they proved to be so ideal because even the most self-critical of my students have been able to note their progress in those areas over the past year. These are skills that proved to be pretty simple to work on in virtual lessons, and it's also a skill that doesn't really have to require attention outside the lesson. So if I have students who are really struggling to progress forward in their repertoire, we can at least spend time on aural skills in their lessons and everyone feels that forward progress, which is great. As for the second question, you know, when this is all over, what do we want our students to remember about us? 
Well, I think we all have to answer that for ourselves. But once you answer that question, then maybe this sounds too simple, but you just commit to being that thing that you want to be remembered by. For me, I want my students to remember me as someone who was present and who was flexible to adapt lessons online to the best of my ability. I want them to remember that I was intentional about keeping a positive attitude. And I want them to remember that my concern for their well-being as a person was of far more importance than that of their musicianship. Defining those qualities in my own mind has really helped me stay focused on what matters through this past 11 months I've been teaching online. Okay, so that is a lot of deep thinking about online lessons. (laughs) Are you curious about some of my favorite discoveries? Here is a very randomly generated list of what I've got. (laughs) First, Have you ever found yourself curious just how much latency there is between you and your student's internet connection? Latency is a fancy word for delay, by the way. Well, try this. If you need to know how much delay there is, try playing or singing. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. (laughs) I often start off a lesson this way because it's familiar and it's silly but it also gives me an idea of just how much of a delay we're working with. So by the time my students finally clap their hands in response, I know exactly how many seconds have passed. Um, And that's quite eye-opening, by the way. (laughs) Because knowing how much latency you're dealing with, regardless of the platform you're on, can really help you pace your conversation and your expectations and your instruction. Next up, I have become a pro at working that little box on my screen. (laughs) I have myself trained to stare directly into that little dot where my camera is anytime I am speaking to a student so they feel like I am looking right at them. I constantly use gestures that the student can see in the camera frame. I also play with proximity. When I really need a student to listen to something, I get my face really close to the camera and I say, look me in the eyes when I tell you this. (laughs) Or, hey, did you really play a B flat in measure four? (laughs) I remember a fellow teacher somewhere along this journey joking that she felt like she was spending her days hosting a children's television show. And the more I experience, the more I think that is the very best depiction of my current life that I can come up with. (laughs) Be warned that this next one is controversial, and I know it. (laughs) But I have been wildly low maintenance with the expectations I've expressed to my studio parents regarding camera angles, equipment, etc. I've got to tell you, For my group of studio families, who are amazing, by the way, (laughs) I think that this is honestly one of the biggest contributing factors to my keeping everyone in lessons this year. Let me just say, as a parent of a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old, 
This pandemic has been really tough. (laughs) Our studio parents' brains are swimming with all the overwhelm that ours are. Plus, all of us have unique uncertainties that no one knows about. So even being as committed to the study of music as I am, in all honesty, I'm not sure I would have been able to stick with a lengthy set of demands from a teacher telling me that I had to purchase a bunch of external equipment or find just the right camera angle or what have you. I have framed my entire approach to online instruction, at least for the current time, Um, I've framed it all around what is going to be the lowest maintenance approach for my families and for my students. For many of my students, this has been a great time to place emphasis on quantity. Uh, We ran our first 40-piece challenge this fall, and I found that to be hugely successful. In general, I kind of take issue with the pacing of study that we tend to fall back on, which is constantly seeking out the next harder thing, right? And constantly working through more and more and more challenging music. And of course, that's part of the goal. And at the same time, if we're constantly chasing that which is just barely out of reach, you know, we do set good goals for ourselves, but we also sometimes miss the enjoyment of just sitting and playing things that we are capable of relatively quickly. And I feel like this past year has been one for a lot of my students just to kind of sit back and take in the progress that they have made thus far. And things like a 40-piece challenge really help us solidify that satisfaction. I've got to tell you, my friends, I have grown so much as a teacher this year. My eyes and my ears have been sharpened, of course, when not taken out by screen-induced migraines, you know. (laughs) But, you know, I have one adult student who actually preferred audio-only lessons for the better part of this year, because she found the lag of video to be really distracting. And I've got to tell you, there was something brilliantly challenging by working through all three movements of Mozart's A minor sonata based solely on audio. I kind of loved it, honestly. I really looked forward to it. I've also been reminded that sometimes the thought of doing something is harder than actually doing the thing. (laughs) Here's an example. My original setup included a desk that I moved to sit at a 90 degree angle to the piano. That's what I thought, you know, quote unquote, professional online teachers did. I had my swivel chair and I constantly swiveled back and forth from the piano to the camera, back and forth. The problem is I much prefer to stand while I'm teaching and weeks turned into months and Even though I hated sitting, I kept thinking that I needed to rearrange a bunch of furniture to accommodate a standing setup. Well, guess what? One day, on a whim, I just moved the desk and stood up to teach my lessons. (laughs) I just raised the tripod I already used and voila, standing teacher. (laughs) And I feel so much better. It sounds so dumb, I know, and I'm sure you're laughing at me right now. 
But seriously, chances are there may be something that you have been putting off doing and it's actually not going to take you long at all. So consider this your push to make it happen, whatever it is. And that's just about all the time we have for today, my friends. But I do want to leave you with this. Even after 11 months of online instruction, where sometimes we've loved it and sometimes we haven't, I can say with absolute confidence that my students are growing and they are vastly better musicians than they were a year ago. And whatever your situation is, whether you are teaching online or teaching in person again or any combination of those two approaches, I'm quite sure that you can say the same thing as well. So now, a toast to you. Cheers to you, my music teacher friends from all over the world. Regardless of what your teaching situation looks like right now and what it looks like in the future, I hope that you now have the perspective to see what the past year has given you. For me, pivoting online has allowed me to reassess what we are doing. I've taken stock of what matters and also what doesn't. It has been a great time to reevaluate our work and to focus on that oh-so-brilliant piece of advice that Francis Clark wrote to teachers all those years ago. You know what I'm talking about. Teach the student first, the music second, and the piano third. May we all continue to look for the roadblocks to our students' learning, and may we always remain flexible to accommodate that mission that has chosen us. <laughs> so cheers to us, my friends. Here, here. As always, I have to take a second and thank you for spending these precious minutes of your day with me and remind you that I'd love to hang out on social media with you throughout the week. So find me on Instagram and Facebook at Beyond Measure Podcast. If you're interested in hearing a little bit more from me, I wanted to encourage you to check out my new friend, Melissa Slocum's podcast. It's called Sounds of Encouragement. And I sat down with her last week for an interview, and I think you would really enjoy the conversation she captured. Um, it's released, it's up and ready to go, so check her out at Sounds of Encouragement. Lastly, let me throw you a heads up about an event that Nicola Canton is doing in April. Nicola is putting together a really innovative event called Music Teacher Turbo Boost, and I will be a part of that, talking about working with anxious students. So for more information, check out teacherturboboost.com, and you can save $10 off your registration if you use my code, which is BEYOND beyond all in capital letters. If you have any questions about that, please feel free to shoot me an email. Um, you can find me at beyondmeasurepodcast at gmail.com. 
Thank you so much, my friends. I'm looking forward to seeing you out and about online this week. (laughs) Thanks so much.